0: Here we go. Yeah. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With
1: 404, uh, Missing Link.
0: Yeah, he's a great man, by the way.
1: Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at Vox404.com. Enjoy the show.
0: Now, in the media circles that I travel in, when you talk about not even Democrat cities or blue cities, but just the big cities in general, there's a foreboding sense of danger. (laughs) And I wonder, like, we hear a little bit in the States about immigration, like, in France and other parts of Europe, and it generally is about immigrants from war torn countries syrian refugees and it it's the picture is painted in this sort of benevolent sympathetic light i i think a lot of that comes from the fact that these it's it's the warring western empire that sort of displaces these people so there's and i would agree there's this lo- obligation to take these people in and shelter them like oh sorry we blew up your house come stay with us for a while but in the states it's it's constant homelessness if if anyone in california that's the their biggest uh you know the biggest topic of conversation oh there's so many homeless you can't go anywhere there's tent cities stretching. As far as the eye can see, what's it like in in the UK? Is there? I mean, first of all, you're on an island; you don't have to build a wall. And there's obviously a, a, at least it seems from here, to be a little bit more pride, a little bit more uh, law and order, and a pride in law and order. And integrity amongst the leadership to say, oh, we're not going to let everybody sleep on the street. Is that the case? Or is it San Francisco over there?
1: I would say it's definitely not like San Francisco. It, although I will say, uh, even though the UK is a very small, you know, a small nation, especially compared to somewhere like America, uh, it definitely depends on where you are in the country. Um, and that will determine your specific exposure to those kinds of behaviors like where I live oh in the country where the average age here is probably you know like 60 years old and most of the people around here you know keep to themselves you know my exposure of you know lawlessness or people from war-torn countries is basically zero but if I go into town then it's it's more if i go into london or if i go to other places then then i get to see that but you know compared to somewhere like san francisco i'm gonna say no san francisco sounds um pretty bad there are places in london which are bad for other reasons um organized crime and stuff but we don't have the scale of the drug problem that north america has like like Canada, where we went into um, last um, episode, or places like Portland or San Francisco or anything like that, we, we, we don't have anything of that scale here. I hope that answers your question. Well, This, fully.
0: this story came out last week about the uh, Westfield Mall. Westfield's like a, uh, oh, a slum lord. They, you know, lease retail space. And they've just decided we're going to pull out of San Francisco. We're going to, I mean, and not just like, it's not as if they're just not going to renew the lease. They're out. They've surrendered the property to the lender. They're like, okay, we're done. No more of this. And the mainstream media paints it in this light of, oh, well, COVID. And, uh, you know, sort of a, persistent disinterest in like brick and mortar retail locations okay that that makes sense and then there's interviews and talk about oh well we didn't uh we didn't experience this before covid this this is because of covid lockdowns then a journalist comes out and says oh when i was i was going to be on location reporting the story about this mall closing. And I was advised to stay away because of how dangerous the area had become. And when I think about this excuse of the COVID lockdowns, I think actually it may indeed be related to COVID, but I think more, uh, more appropriately, it would be, the COVID policies allowed the elections to run in such a way that we magically wound up with a lot more radical Democrat leadership with soft on crime policies that has allowed people to freely live in the streets and freely commit crimes. And even, I think we spoke about this a little bit last week. If, if there's, if you're not stealing or, or if, if you've stolen, I think $900 or less in merchandise, then essentially they just let you go. And there's really no excuse for this, especially in California, because California has at least up until recently, had a massive surplus of tax funds. I mean, they're they're falling short on a lot of the commitments that they've made to the
1: residents in California.
0: But nevertheless, they've got money to spare. And they, all, and yeah, they just... Yeah, that's ridiculous. They just they, claim, they, should
1: lo- they should lower taxes. They should lower taxes if they have a surplus.
0: 100%. Are, are people allowed to just sleep in the street? Like, what happens if someone... What happens in London if someone just pitches a tent in the park and says, Oh, I live here now. What, what's, what's the response from law enforcement?
1: Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I think they are moved on. Um, I'm not sure to where. Are
0: are there homeless,
1: are there homeless cities? No, 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 no. Nothing like I saw, you know, on those videos of, you know, Vancouver or, You know, those tent cities you see, even in Calais, in France, where all the immigrants are. You know, we don't have anything close to that. So I don't know where our homeless goes, but but yeah.
0: What about the... Well, it's like Dr. Drew has said on, on many occasions when I've been listening to his podcast. The homeless people are not the people that you would expect to... To see, because we have a lot of, uh, a lot of immigration, right? A lot of people from Latin America and Mexico. None of those people are homeless. No. They stay with their cousin or whatever, relative. They don't come here and go, oh, I'll just live on the street unless they're in a place like El Paso, Texas, where they just came across the border and they're catching their breath before they move on to their final, de- or, you know, planned destination. Now, is it also, there's uh, also rumors, you know, whatever, murmurings, conspiracies, <laughs> that there are uh, these portions of, I, I don't know about London, but I know I've heard in, in France that these immigrants, these Muslim immigrants have basically sectioned off portions of the city and said, ah, oh, it's Sharia law here now. And there's basically warnings from local governments saying, uh, basically, if you're white, don't come into these areas. Is that just sensational journalism? Or do you hear things like that?
1: I do. I do hear things like that. I don't think it's as black and white as that. Um, no, you know, intended. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> no, it, I don't think it's as cut and dry, um, because especially in the Muslim community here in the UK, you get uh, a vast—I'm going to say—gradient of how conservative they are. So some of them, you know, because I, I recently went to a wedding, you know, a Muslim wedding, and that was pretty conservative. You know, I—I I, I had to be with the guys, and it was all separated, you know, gender-wise. Um, And there are only two genders at that wedding. So it was pretty easy to figure out where I was going to go. But uh, yeah, so, but other, other weddings, you know, you, you have it all, all mixed. So there are some areas like where there are just more Muslims than others that I think, you know, that the police have a harder time and there are certain areas where they, they just won't go into because it causes them too much grief. Um, And, there are definitely some areas where if you went into, um, then, you know, as, as whatever, white, whatever, um, that you'd probably, you'd probably come under some, some kind of harassment. Uh, but you know, if I look at that, is that an inherently Muslim thing? Probably not. You know, if I went to East London where a bunch of those organized crime kids are hanging out, you know, and expect not to get stabbed. The bad boy Yardies. The The bad boy Yardies. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, it's it's sort of one of those things where um, I think if you have a congregation of the same amount of culture in one area, then the likelihood that those people will be intolerant to you goes up. And so it's about it's about dealing with that. So I don't think it is a conspiracy. I mean, I mean it's just it's just obvious. I mean, you know, well, you-
0: it it's, it's not about. It's not about race. I mean, like like you said, it's it's about culture, and I think also, yeah. like poverty level. And everybody points to yeah. it, or I mean, I don't know about everybody pointing to it, but it it's it's said a lot, like oh, these this these immigrants and and their crime, or these you know black people steal, you know, is a, it's it's a a joke it, at this point because mm-hmm. I think we're all realizing that it's not about what color you are it's about your culture but more importantly your your poverty level people that have yeah absolutely you know fat stacks in their pockets aren't looking to steal unless they have you know mental health issues like winona ryder but nothing like uh shopping centers closing down because they're being robbed uh relentlessly and the companies are concerned about keeping their employees safe. Like that's probably <laughs> no, the I, grossest part of this.
1: Yeah, for real. I don't I, I can't think off the top of my head of any specific uh examples of, of that happening, you know, as a as a as a result of the current culture we're in right now. There is a there is an there's always an element of, uh, you know, mob mentality in certain places, uh, like you know, Nottingham. There are every now and again, you know, a bunch of teens will run out into the street and you know ransack a shop or something. But you know, if you look back in the history of time, that's probably happened over and over again, and it's not something that I would say is Nottingham. Know, almost like uh, Nottingham. Yeah.
0: What happened to the, the sheriff? Nottingham.
1: Uh, he's so, he's so he, popular I know he's called a constable now I think uh, or a police a police constable the or something constable. it's very much more uh, that's it uh, very much more uh, Nottingham. the traffic warden yeah the, probably, or, or the parking ticket attendant uh, of Nottingham <laughs> now probably god I, I I got my fair share of parking tickets up in Darby Nottingham they would it'd literally go around in a car with a camera on top of it and it scans all your uh, reg plates. Uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they like automatic. Yeah, it's like automatic. It's like a money printer for them. So, but yeah, it's, you know, uh, we we still have you know. So it's not you know, correlation isn't causation in that fact. We we still have quite a significant problem on our high streets and in our shopping malls. A lot of them are being systematically uh, destroyed by the economy that we find ourselves in and it's nothing to do with the with the pandemic or crime or anything like that it's to do with the fact that um the bureaucracy and the i'm gonna say um the convenience to the customer just isn't there so in my local town, you know, it's been ransacked basically of all, of all the commercial places. You know, I think we have something like one third of all the commercial lots of Aiken. You know, it's, it's, and in the shopping mall, They've only got one major shop left, and the rest of them are just sort of these little micro shops, which which are just rubbish. They basically don't pay rent or anything, and they're just hopeless. But then, you know, 10 minutes away in this brand new retail park that opened up four years ago, I mean, they're just going crazy. You can't even get a parking spot in there, and there's thousands of people that go there every weekend. So, I think it's, it's not a case of, for us, it's a case of they're just... The, the the sales, people still like to go out and buy and spend money and, and go to places. They just don't want to do it in the town center where you would think it would be more convenient to do so, but actually isn't because it, it, you have to pay for parking. You have to walk a, a ways. You got to deal with all the people. It's just a nightmare. So we have this thing where the high street is being eroded by these retail parks um, setting up where people drive to. So we have a completely different situation. That's uh, So yeah, I hope that enlightens you guys a little bit about the UK situation.
0: Well, it, it's interesting because there was this moment. So, you know, in, in the age of Amazon or when Amazon was on the rise, there was, I mean, I, Amazon was the place where you could get the best deal. You know, oh, it's I I would, literally, I remember walking through shops with my phone, looking at the stuff. I mean, because that was one of the things I, th- like, think about retail spaces and shopping malls. Sometimes it was fun, just go have a walk around and look at the stuff and, you know, just be out and about. So I walk, I, I'm walking around. Just enjoying myself and looking, oh, that's nice. I wonder how much that is on Amazon. Oh, look, it's 10 bucks cheaper. Well, then, you know, a few months or a few years pass by and Amazon's taking the lion's share of the, you know, retail customers across the world and the brick and mortar shops had to adjust. They had to bring their prices down, you know, maybe lay off some employees, figure out how to offset their costs so that they could have a competitive price with Amazon and, and other, you know, massive retailers like Walmart. And I feel like everything had just started to even out. I could go into a, a sporting goods store and see, wow their price on this product is actually below what I would pay to get it on Amazon. Then the, the COVID pandemic hit and wiped out a lot of that mid-level business. And now shopping malls, I mean, even before the, the pandemic, there were shopping malls that were closing down. But it seemed like the pandemic hit and everything really started
1: to crash in terms of small business. I think that was was our experience as well. Like, you know, we had a company called Into and they would basically own loads of shopping malls across the UK. And what they would do is, is they would buy up a shopping mall and then use the rent money to buy the next one. And after the pan they, they were already on the rocks of course, cause they're, they're buying these on leverage, right? They're buying them on the fact that they're getting, you know, rent money to buy the next one, to buy the next one, to buy the next one. So it's, if one stops paying rent, then, you know, the whole house of cards falls down and that fell down during, uh, ju- just, just after the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic just, just finished them off because, you know, people just couldn't eat, couldn't afford the rent or, or moved out and, and that collapsed the, the entire group. It was, uh, so, yeah. So I, I think, I think you're right. And that was our experience as well. Like if there was any business that was kind of struggling before the pandemic, the pandemic just kind of finished them off. And whether that was due to the uh, virus itself and people being off work or whether that was due to the lockdowns that they put out and no one was able to come and buy product, you know, either way. Uh, I think that was like the, the bullet that kind of uh, finished them off there.
0: Well, and businesses come and go all the time. I mean, there was a restaurant, or I should say there's a there's a restaurant space in my neighborhood that it seems like every year it's a new business in there because just you know, restaurants are risky endeavors, and I think when the you know the fifteen days to slow the spread first rolled out this place lasted about three days. But the reason this story in in you know the New York Post about this mall closing down is because it was in a retail heavy area in San Francisco. My neighborhood is not San Francisco. My neighborhood isn't even very populous. But you know, one guy who's probably not worried about going to shopping malls in in any capacity, at least won't be for the next several years is uh, that Prigogine guy. Because he's going to have to keep his head down for a while. Do you agree? I
1: th- think so, although... <laughs> I don't know if he is doing that.
0: How do you like uh, that wanna... segue? <laughs> yeah,
1: check it out. That was uh, that was some surgical segue right there. oh, uh, yeah. uh, it's almost. Yeah, a... yeah, yeah. If Pregosian, you, you would
0: have missed it if I didn't call it out. You would have just totally missed. Yes, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Yeah, owner Pregosian. of the private army of yeah. prison recruits and other That's mercenaries it. who have fought some of the deadliest battles in Russia's invasion of Ukraine, according to the Times of India.
1: According to the Times of India, which is obviously the most <laughs> reputable news source. It's the best of all the time's to, Is I don't know. I'm going to have to add that to my list, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'll just break this down really, really quickly for you. Sure. Uh, I was following the story um, day by day as I always follow the the Ukraine story very, very close over in Europe for you guys. So I woke up and I saw this new story and I was like, wait, what? The Wagner Group. I mean, this is the group that does all of Putin's dirty work around the world. You know. uh, Yeah, it's been really interesting.
0: It's been really interesting to learn about all of, you know, that they haven't just, it's not something that was just put together for Ukraine. They were doing a lot of what they were doing a lot of work in Syria and also yep. in Africa.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that so they're like, a, they're more like a mafia for hire. But make no mistake, these, the Wagner group is is an extremely elite force um, that, you know, expanded under taking, taking prisoners. But before they took on the prisoners, that they are a group of extremely well equipped well equipped and extremely battle hardened and extremely, and uh, we use extremely again, but very, very good soldiers uh, from many walks of life, you know, as a private military company. So they, they are a force we reckon with. And, and that's why they spearheaded a lot of the um, attacks into Ukraine. And that's why they had a lot of success uh, in Ukraine because they're not just your run of the mill people. They, they actually are halfway decent, even though they used, you know, prisoners as a sort of, uh, first wave zombie assault or something yeah. for, for their attacks. The
0: bullet sponges.
1: So let's, um, let's start actually from today or, or yesterday, depending on, on what time zone you're in. Something that was really interesting, I found, was Putin's speech after everything has happened. It's good to touch on this first because he mentions that the Wagner private military company was fully funded by the Russian military and the Russian MOD to the tune of Probably just under a trillion rubles. Um, that is a great deal of money. Uh, a trillion rubles is is still, you know, tens of billions of US dollars. So, you know, imagine giving, I don't know, could, could you imagine the US government giving a local private military company tens of billions and that just go unnoticed? I, I doubt it, you know. That's usually called the CIA or something. Uh, people tend to notice that kind of thing. But uh, so that, that was really interesting because basically he's admitting to something that they had denied for a long, long time, which is the Wagner really was on its own. It was his own thing. And we were just working with them and, you know, helping them out every now and again. But, and that's it's significant because that means that anything that Wagner did essentially is directly tied to the, to the Russian estate, the Russian. Uh, state itself which means that anything that they've done in terms of war crimes and stuff really is down to Russia because Wagner wouldn't exist without Russia because they were 100% in Putin's own words 100% funded by the Ministry of Defense in Russia and the Russian state
0: and for the, and the only for the ugly Americans listening a trillion rubles is about a billion, uh, 11 billion US dollars yeah a great deal of money one one ruble is about a t- a tenth of a cent. Just
1: so sad. Come on, Russia I know <laughs> you gotta get those rubles up. you okay. gotta pump those numbers up they're rookie numbers <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> make your money worth more
1: that's it, man. <laughs> what are you guys
0: doing over there with that monopoly money so how did how did pregosion okay so I'm just working this out. Like my, my my first instinct, especially when everyone well, well. First, it was first. It was what? Oh, it's it's a mutiny. Progoshin is turned around and he's marching on Russia. Yeah. So did he? Did he get a better? Did he get a better deal from the CIA?
1: Okay, so this is nothing to do with the U.S. Uh, as much as the U.S. love. With, loves this, and U- Ukraine loves this. Th- this, is, this is self-survival for Progression and Wagner Group. So there are a few things that are going to happen very shortly that led to this uh, thing happening You know, last, last weekend. So there was one thing that was going to happen, which was really key, which was Wagner was going to be officially absorbed into the Russian military. And that was okay. already planned for. That was already planned. That was already planned and Prigozhin did not like this because it's his thing and he's allowed to do whatever he wants with it and if he gets absorbed into the Russian military he's over the direct purview of the military and he's not really needed you know what do you need Prigozhin for anymore
0: well yeah who wouldn't want to have their own badass
1: private army that's it you know if his claim to fame is his private army and he's no longer running a private army then what is the point of him that's the thing so he he felt like that first of all was a threat to him. Uh, so that's that's one thing. That's one thing to, to note it, uh here. As well as um he alleges now there's there's not really any major proof of this because it's so hard to verify that Sergei Shogu um made an attack the on minister
0: of Defense the- in in Russia.
1: That's it uh he he personally ordered an attack against the wagner uh troops that killed you know about like let's say 250 troops or something like that in one go in a, in a missile strike and apparently that was the thing that really threw him over the edge you know first of all you're going to you're going to absorb me and now you just now you're just going to just blow us up to get us you know to get us off your back because Wagner was causing problems for, for Putin and the le- and the leadership. He has his own Telegram channel, and basically all of the far right in Russia religiously watches Prigogine because he's the only guy that openly talks about accelerating the war process, getting more conscription, getting more equipment, you know, adding more fuel to the fire. And so it poses a real problem because Putin needs people on the right. Okay so that he has someone so he has a good base of people to accelerate the war okay but he needs that person to be controllable otherwise you end up in a situation where they decide i don't like the leadership so i'm going to change it for myself and what putin has done is he has outsourced his dirty work to someone he's not treat them with enough respect probably and with 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 enough uh, sort of leadership leeway to, to do what he needs to do. The guy Pregosian has decided, right, I'm in a position where I'm powerful enough, I've got my own army and the, the major leadership is pissing me off. So you know what? I'm just going to go fuck it. I'm just going to, you, you, you want to absorb me, you want to shoot me, you don't want to listen to my advice. I've got a huge base of people that want to accelerate this war. I've got massive support in, in the local army, the local Russian army around me. I'm just going to go for it because either way, I'm fucked. So, I, so I'm just going to go for it. And uh, what ended up happening then was that in the morning, they had taken Rostov-on-Don, okay? And Rostov-on-Don is the major southern hub for the entire invasion of Ukraine. So that is extremely, extremely uh, significant because that would have, you know, I was almost thinking they should just stay there because they could control the entire war from there. Because nowhere else, you know, that's the logistical hub where all the soldiers, all the equipment goes through, through to Crimea, through to to Ukraine on on the Western Front. But he decided, nah, you know what? We're going to go right to Moscow. And he was clever not to say that we're going to overthrow Putin. He was clever to say that we're just going to get rid of these stupid generals, these incompetent generals that don't know what they're doing and we're going to do something else. And we're going to march all the way 600 miles from Rostov-on-Don to Moscow. And you know what the crazy thing is? They made it 450 miles with barely any resistance at all. And the only reason they stopped was because Lukashenko, who's the president or prime minister, I don't know what system they have over in belarus it doesn't really matter, Lukashenko, he is the president of of Belarus, or Belarusia. Uh, And he brokered a deal between Progozhin and the Russian state, or Putin, or whatever, where they would turn around, the Wagner troops, and Progozhin would go into exile in Belarus. And then statements came out saying that they didn't want any bloodshed, yada, yada, yada... It's not quite clear why they turned around or or what specifically was was done there. There's probably going to be... I I did hear some rumblings around threats to family members of the soldiers, threats to the family members of Pregosian himself. There was all these kind of things moving around. And so if you look at it on a surface level, you end up with um, a highly influential right-wing war from a private military company, funded by the Russian government, who's a friend of Putin or was, staged a mutiny against the state and almost got all the way to Moscow with zero resistance. And then this whole thing was saved, not by Putin, but by Putin's puppet, puppet you know, guy in Belarus. And that's where it ends on a, on a surface level. But if you think about this, this is horrific for Putin because essentially what's happened is that someone has staged a mutiny against Putin's leadership and suffered basically no consequences. And Putin is now running around doing statements, getting foreign diplomats to back him up and his leadership. You know, the day after he was calling China and Xi Jinping was coming out saying that we support Russia. He's calling Iran and Iran's going and saying that we support Russia. And Putin's You know, even yesterday, Putin got all the major generals of the Russian defense and was, you know, congratulating them and saying, thank you so much for stopping the force. Is this this the behavior of someone that believes that they are in control or believes that their power is is untouched? I don't think so. It's definitely
0: interesting.
1: Yeah. You see... For me, Putin has come out, you know, there's no winners here other than Ukraine, because they're going to they're gonna make some serious ground on the, just the overall chaos, because the more time they're spending in fighting and worrying about this internal situation, because it's extremely damaging for Putin, uh, because before this event, me, anyone included, anyone wouldn't have said that there was any real chance of anyone overthrowing Putin or challenging his leadership or anything like that. But what Prigozhin has done is he has thrown a tiny spanner in the works. And that means that other people around Putin are going to be thinking, well, what if Putin isn't in power? Maybe he isn't doing the best job. And so, what, maybe that could be me doing that. Maybe well, that could also, be this guy.
0: Like, Look, Putin hired this private military company, You know this, this band of 50,000 mercenaries. And yeah. look they just they just turned around and abandoned the city they conquered and started marching on Moscow. That's why I think a lot of people were like, "Well, who did who decided to pay them more money?" Because I mean, if Russia was only giving them 11 billion dollars, I mean the CIA could say, "Hey, tell you what. You turn around and start marching back toward Russia and we'll pay you 20 million." The other thing that stands out to me is I mean Prigozhin okay so on one hand he did spend like 9 years in prison and I always yes. say that that only bad criminals get caught so he's not that smart cuz he got caught and went to prison
1: no, but you, but you not, have to it's think it's not hard to get caught in Russia I'll, I'll be honest sure
0: I have no idea <laughs> but I I believe you he, he has to know, I mean, maybe it's not top of mind, but he has to know that a dead mercenary doesn't need to be paid, but it's, yeah. It, so it's, it's, it's curious that he would put himself in a position. I tell I don't know what, tell me what you know about this. He was allegedly when, when he turned around the road that they were using to move out of Bakhmut was covered with landmines. So as they're trying to march down this road, they're removing the landmines. And this is the thing that, that prompted uh, Shoigu to start firing on them. Does, does that sound right? Is that, you know, an accurate timeline?
1: I've not personally heard of that, other than removing landmines. Um, well, and that's the other thing,
0: too. We we don't know... I mean, where is the Wagner group now? Are they back in in Rostov-Don? In Rostov-On-Don? Or are they going back to Bakhmut?
1: So, um, it depends. So, if... <sighs> well, we have no... A lot the, of this- the point is, we have no
0: idea. and But we also don't know... I mean how many events had transpired before this came into the news and, and yeah. what could possibly be. I mean, why did Prigozhin decide at ah, it it's, it's over. I want to live my life. I mean, no more shopping malls for me, no more going out in public. I have to door dash and Amazon, everything that I want from now yeah. on, because my I mean, does that fit with the Russian? I mean, is 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 that the Russian character? Is that is that a common Russian personality? I'm just going to throw a, ten, a temper tantrum and flush mine and my family's life down. That's the part that seems unbelievable to me. That's the thing that makes me scratch my head when I see... So Putin comes out and make, gives this fiery speech about, ah, the treasonous traitors will have their heads. And then a couple of days later... He comes out and, and sort of softens his position. It has me wondering, okay, what did Wagner capture in Bakhmut that they wanted to uh, bring back to Russia? They found like some, there's this conspiracy theory in, uh, from the Iraq war that Saddam Hussein found a Stargate like a literal Stargate, like from the movie, this is I mean this is the conspiracy theory, and this was when they orchestrated nine eleven and and came up with this big plan to go into Afghanistan and then uh Iraq because Saddam Hussein found a Stargate and he couldn't be allowed to have that kind of power, so what what could what could possibly have like let's let's say this wasn't a mutiny, but it's being sold mm. to us as a mutiny. Okay, Bakhmut has salt mines and and yep. and gypsum mines. Yeah. So why why what could possibly prompt this private military corps to turn around and and go back to Russia?
1: So, I mean, it has to do with the fact that Russia didn't want them to be a private military company anymore. Um, Progozhin, it's been widely reported, and and I sort of believe this because of the work they've been doing in in Africa and Syria uh, with the mafia style stuff that they do, is uh, they, they sort of take over a local area. And exploit the people and the natural resources for, for their own for their own personal gain, not the private military company, but literally their own personal gain. Um, and so, I, I reckon they they wanted to do this in Bakhmut with the local resources, and that's why they contributed so many uh, resources in terms of people and equipment to Bakhmut. Even though Bakhmut strategically isn't that important, I mean, it's it's it's, it's literally not that important in terms of the war, but they commit a lot to Bakhmut, right? So, after this happened, I reckon at some point, the Russian military must have realised what kind of monster they had created, how much power they had given to this company, and the kind of position that they have allowed this company to be in. Where, essentially, you have now created a highly uh, equipped, highly trained uh, gang of criminals... Which are now starting to act like its own entity, aside of of Russia, and Progoshin himself is feels like he's able to criticize the state with little impunity, and so they would have thought to themselves, right? We have to deal with this now, and we have to deal with it as soon as possible.
0: I'm just reading. I'm I'm just reading a few headlines here. Mm-hmm. Um regarding shoigu and the wagner group yeah. and it sounds like i mean just on the most cursory uh uh search google search here shoigu did not like the wagner group do you think oh, he Blankman. was do you think he was Leaning on Putin to to make this move and was kind of poking Purgosian to do something dumb like this. Is this the success of of Shoigu in, in kind of turning Putin and Purgosian against
1: each other? Uh, no, I, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the the they're, they're intended. Um, well, because Prigozhin went on
0: this rant, so he he was ranting and yeah. raving about how they're starving us. We need more yeah. ammunition. We we need. I mean, do you think that that these statements are true, or he's just trying to make Shoigu look bad?
1: Uh, I think I think it, I think it's probably a bit, a bit of both. Um, I mean, the Wagner Group aren't the only people on the front line in in Russia that are that are extremely under supplied. I mean, it's a uh, They've got a massive front. And, you know, supplies are hard to come by. They're they're in they're really um And it's not like that Russia doesn't have the supplies. It's just the logistical nightmare of 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 the supplies is is difficult. Um and I well, think Well and there's also you know, the
0: the at least for me, the thought that Russia's not committing their whole they're not committing all their assets because yeah, they right? they they want to be they want to maintain a little bit of mystery as to
1: their capabilities. And also, I don't know, I I know. I mean, it's not that it's it's they can't commit because the public aren't ready for that yet. Um, The public aren't ready. You know, wars are incredibly un- unpopular. And so it has to be done over time. And this is this is why this whole thing is terrible for Putin, because it's brought this whole thing out into the into the public, into the public of Russia, not us. But to the Russian people, which um is so is this
0: this is turning is this turning Russian public opinion against the war, or at least
1: making them unsure about it? it's making them have an opinion, and that's the most damaging thing for Putin because he wow he- yeah he needs you to be neutral or at least agree with him, but if you give them an ultimatum like this, then they're allowed to think for themselves and that's the most damaging thing for, for a dictatorship. So this
0: introduced, this introduced a narrative.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's so hard to, yeah, it's so hard to escape. How can you possibly kill a story where the Wagner group goes 600 miles through the Russian territory undetected?
0: Where they have, did did they have to fight any, any Russian? I mean, I know you said that there was no resistance or virtually no resistance yeah. Did they ever have conflict with, yeah, yeah, with Russian yeah, regulars they, they were, on the way?
1: Yeah, yeah. They, they, uh, the, well, the Russian Ministry of Defense were trying to shoot them with attack helicopters and Wagner Group was shooting planes and helicopters down. So th- there was bloodshed, but you know, wow. not like, not like where they were carpet bombing the streets and getting rid of them. Right. Like, right. It, it, seems, it's, it seems like, it seems like, uh, uh, holy fuck, we can't believe this is happening because, of course, this has never happened in Putin's reign. So, you know, um, there's an element, that that it felt like an element of almost unpreparedness for this where they were like, well, what do we have? Okay, we have attack helicopters on, on standby. Let's just send those because they didn't have any... Their major reserve force of of about five hundred thousand people uh, are mostly just police and stuff like that are in are in or near Moscow and we're ready and we're digging trenches outside Moscow and and they never got the Wagner group never got close enough to 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 tussle with those guys but in terms of that you know the the the, the resistance was very small uh, very very small you know considering that they probably suffered minimal losses considering they had 25,000 people marching up there so well there had to be a lot of confusion uh, too like oh we're
0: yeah we're following orders and then suddenly you're a Russian regular and you're being ordered to fire on your allies wait a minute what are you sure you know that these guys are these guys hold on a minute and I mean I think that probably played a lot in you know yeah exactly to Purgosian's favor but what are your what are your contacts on the ground saying about what's uh what's truly going on
1: okay so uh, nobody knows what's going on with with progozhan um he's in belarus now it's very unclear to, to, to what is going to happen to him in the future um i spoke to some ukrainian people um yesterday I want their opinion, you know, and they're they're not like, uh, they're people that follow this, but they're not, should we say, actively engaged in in this whole thing and looking at sources and stuff like that. And I thought it was really interesting what they said, even though I don't personally agree with what they said. I thought it was very interesting what they said. They essentially think this is all staged and that Putin isn't worried about this and that, you know, almost like, the Wagner group was a paid actor and, in, in, you know, it, it, and there's going to be some money given to Um Well, yeah. So that, that, a, oh
0: yes. I love it because that is, if they were going to be absorbed into the Russian regulars, they got to go back anyway. Well, I guess they don't have to, but it makes sense that they would.
1: I guess so before this happened, so, you know, now they have given a choice to the Russian to the Wagner group uh, people to either be decommissioned, you know, and sent away or to become part of the Russian military. They've still got that option. But from what I'm seeing on Telegram and other channels, um, the soldiers that are in the Wagner group absolutely hate Progozhne now. They call him a rat because he gave up. And they were willing to die. They were willing to go all the way to Moscow and die, uh, you know, and take over. Because you got to remember, like, these are people that only think about themselves. I want to, you know, they're they're mercenaries or prisoners. So they were willing. They don't give a shit about fucking Putin. Or yeah, they don't thing. have a lot of skills. <laughs> no, they, they they don't care, right? You know, they don't care. They want to. they were willing to go all the way. And now that's been completely, you know, eradicated for them. I think the reason why it ended up not working out, um, for Progojan is, is really Prigozhin needed more support of the local Russian military. You know, if you look at any coups or mutinies or anything, usually y- you get the, the military on side and, um, things change fairly, fairly quickly. And I think there is some degree that that did happen because Rostov on Don was taken with no resistance. Uh, you know, they were having coffee and stuff. um, And that's a massive military hub. So there must have been some level of communication or something where the local leaders said, you know, whatever.
0: Oh, you guys are back. Okay. (laughs) Right this way. Here for a coffee.
1: (laughs) That's just it. So there was definitely going to be some level of... Communication beforehand that, hey, look, we're gonna do this, you wanna support us? Yeah, sure. We agree with you. There's not enough equipment on that, that, this, that, and the other in of on.
0: But I think Well, as- and they're also going, Oh, please don't crush the shit out of us. <laughs> you know, like, hold on, we'll open the door, we'll open the door, come on.
1: Yeah, well, quite often what happens is is like quietly they say they support it, but of course publicly they can't they can't say so because right. they have to appear like it's everything's, everything's normal for them. Mm. So, if, you know, for, for the actual Russian military, you know, they would have been like, oh, this is terrible. But in the, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, I hope he goes all the way. And this is the people in rostov and Don I'm talking about. And so Wagner goes, okay, great. We need to get everyone else on board. Uh, and of course, I completely understand that, you know, right now, no one's going to want to uh, do anything, right? Because no one's seen that anyone's willing to, you know, step up. And that's fine. We, as the Wagner Group, are willing to do almost like the world's greatest public protest and drive our troops all the way to Moscow. And on the way, I think he was hoping that this action alone would garner enough support to at least oust, you know, the current military leadership. And that didn't happen for him. And because that didn't happen for him, and you know, it it makes sense because they got like 80% of the way there and then the deal happened. So. I think he probably waited and waited and waited and talked to a few people and it just didn't happen for him.
0: Well, tell me what you think about this theory. Yeah, sure. Putin, Shoigu, defense minister, they know they're about to absorb this 50,000 or, I mean, 25,000 now since the, the fighting in Ukraine. They're, they're about to absorb this fighting force that at the time pledged its allegiance to Purgosian. Well, they don't want to, at least common sense tells me, they don't want to absorb this fighting force that holds allegiance to Purgosian when they're not absorbing Purgosian, or maybe they were, or maybe they the, the option was there. So by sort of fooling everyone into thinking that this was a mutiny on Prigozian's part. Now we have their, their, the, the leader of these mercenaries ruin his credibility with his soldiers by turning them around, putting them in harm's way, making them march on, you know, their, presumably their countrymen and he for all intents and purposes exiles himself ruins his credibility with the mercenaries but also Putin sort of has set up this way for the mercenaries to prove their allegiance or or deny their allegiance oh prigozhin has gone well I'm gone too Or Prigozhin's leaving, good. Fuck him. We're Russians and we're happy to be Russian military. So without actually coming out and saying it, Putin and Shoigu constructed this way for people to either willingly commit themselves or willingly remove themselves. And it's all just an exercise in theater.
1: What say you? I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, if this is all theater, then, you know, it's gone terribly because I can't see anyone that's won from this on the Russian side. Yeah. That's, it would honestly, that sticks for me too. That sticks for me because, too. Because, it, you know, if Wagner is a problem, right, it just would have been easier just to bomb the whole thing in Ukraine. And call it an accident. Or don't even acknowledge it at all. And then you don't have the very public charade. Because the problem that Shogu has now, right? And the problem that Putin has with Shogu right now, okay, that Wagner's exposed, whether it's true or false or not, is that if Putin gets rid of Shogu, right? That means that he is agreeing with Progozhan, right? So he's conceded to Progogion in that respect. And then if he leaves Shogu, right, in place, that means that he's potentially leaving in someone who's incompetent in his role. So in terms of the Ministry of Defence makeup for Putin, he's completely fucked either way. He's either an incompetent guy or he gets rid of him and concedes to Progogion on what he believes in in Shogu. So from that side, he's completely
0: messed up. that's, That's weakness and instability.
1: Definitely. And just on its own, just on its own. Then you've got Lukashenko, who I think is possibly the most damaging part of this because you've got Putin looks like a a completely uh, disorganized idiot. Yeah. Right? You've got Wagner, that's the, you know, warmongering crazy man running through the country, uh, you know, just doing some crazy (laughs) shit. Right? And you've got Lukashenko the saviour, the hero in this story, jumping on a plane from Turkey, flying over and brokering this deal to stop the civil war in Russia. So you've got to think, you know, out of all this, Lukashenko, the leader of fucking Belarus of all places, has come out smelling of roses, looking like some kind of messiah in all this. <laughs> Which is just ridiculous. So I think there's, it's, it's a very strange situation where, you know, Putin's doing daily addresses to various people, the public, the soldiers, saying thank you, saying, oh, thank you so much for not, like, giving in to Pregosian and killing me. You know, it, it, would Gaddafi do that? Fuck no. You know, or Assad do that? No. I mean, this is someone that's highly insecure at this point, and people are writing this off as a failure. You know, and, it's, and the mutiny was a failure, but this is, I believe... Or was like, it? I don't know. Well, a failure surely for Prigozhin, but I mean, I there was no mutiny, of... but I don't know. I
0: don't know if I agree that a mutiny was the goal, because how does, you know, like like you're saying, would what would what would Gaddafi do? What would Assad do? I if it was Joe Biden, Prigozhin would probably be dead and be the dead. Western media would be saying, oh, no, he's in jail.
1: He'd be dead. But the problem is, is he can't kill Prigozhin. Because he's so fucking popular with the far right, which is what Putin needs. Oh, man. So cunning. It's so it's it's so fucked for for Putin. Because Putin has to appear like he's, you know, oh, I've got this crazy guy over the right. You know, I, I take your opinion. Okay. You know, th- there is that option to make the war go further. But, you know, I've got these people over here that are like, you know, we should just keep doing what we're doing. And we should tell the public that, you know, the war is going Okay. We might need to do more in the future. So he's trying to balance between these two so he can navigate the situation where he's slowly increasing the war effort or decreasing it, depending on what he wants to do and making sure the public are uh, informed in a way that makes sure that their opinion is, is what he thinks. And, and now it's in a position where, you know, he can't kill Budhrasthan because he's so fucking popular, you know. Um, he's so, so, so bloody popular with, with the far right uh, that he can't kill him and if he doesn't kill him, he looks weak. Yeah. So now he's, now he's been exiled. So Putin's in this horrible situation. Horrible. Horrible for a dictator because he has given too much power to this guy, okay, who's, you know, a crazed maniac by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Well, he's and, a convict. You know, Joe, yeah. He was in prison for nine years. He's a convict.
1: Right, 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 right. You know, who leads a legion of other convicts and highly trained mercenaries. You know, And you've given this guy basically a huge platform on the only base that's going to support you increasing the war effort, which you need to stay alive because if Putin loses Ukraine, he's fucked. So he has outsourced, and this is the problem with Putin, uh, during the pandemic and after the pandemic because he became much more insular and more isolated. Right, right. And he started outsourcing this stuff to other people so he didn't get his hands dirty. And when you do that, you know, you need to make sure that they only have a small job. You know, so everyone only does their one little thing. But of course, Prigozhin—he has a bunch of stuff to do, and he's had this platform and this other stuff. So it's uh, it's really fucked up for Putin. Really fucked up. And so while this, uh, you know, immediate mutiny was, because I mean, it was a mutiny. You know, they're they're, they're you know they they're going against they're going against their their own orders from, well, right, from the military. Well, right, and so. when,
0: what happened to? what happened to Bakhmut? What, what's going on now? Like they didn't, did they just abandon it? Is it, is it back in (laughs) Ukraine control now?
1: As far as I, as as so much as I remember, I'm pretty sure they left a small force there. And I think the Russian military are are coming over there and they're going to handle all that. Um, I don't think there's any been been any like specific uh, huge gains or losses uh, on either side uh, around there. There's just so there's just so much shit around there in terms of landmines and all that sort of stuff. You wouldn't want to go anywhere near that fucking place, and it's not even worth it for the Ukrainians anyway. So they're not going to bother pushing into Bakhmut because it's not worth much to them anyways. Even though that sounds terrible to say, but it, it really isn't. So you know th- this this is just uh, I don't know that the that's why. I don't agree with these conspiracy theories. It was like, a, you know, this was all staged or planned or anything because it's just one, it's just too chaotic for it to be planned. OK, uh, two, it's highly public, which is just the antithesis to what Russia is about. They just hate public scrutiny. They hate stuff getting out. And three, it looks terrible for Putin and great for someone else who's supposed to be Putin's puppet, which is the war situation. So now what happens now, okay? So, like Chernobyl was the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union, me personally, I think this is the beginning of the end for Putin. This is the... And there's been nothing else that's really, you know, allowed someone to say that because Putin just seems so strong, you know, so ubiquitous within Russia and Russian society. But this, this is the seed that gets sowed in the minds of not necessarily the Russian people, because they don't really matter, right? Uh, Unless their rights on a grand scale are being infringed. But to to some extent that that's not really true, but it's going to sow the seed in the minds of the elites, the oligarchs, the defense ministry. They must've thought at least 1%. And if it's true that they've at least thought of it 1%, what would happen if Putin wasn't there? then you know that that shit's going to fucking spread or at least stay around, you know, and if something else happens, it just needs something else to happen and then that's the the next thing and it slowly builds up over time. So it's the small crack that then gets wider and wider over time and you're seeing Putin now in almost a a state of desperation as he tries to band-aid this situation over and, you know, he's giving all of his generals a pay bump because they defended from the mutiny or stuff like that which they didn't fucking do but he's basically giving them a fucking pay bump to basically say don't go against me um but you know how much is that really worth when you know I personally believe like if you look at someone like uh Lukashenko I mean he's a guy that potentially could run Russia in 10 years time because he's Pretty much similar guy to Putin, but looks like a hero. He had a staging thing. He looks quite neutral over the war. So if they lose the war, right, you know, Belarus is kind of like neutral in all this. so It doesn't really matter. So it's, it's a, yeah, I think this is, I think this is the beginning of the end for Putin. Uh Some people are saying, well, you know, this doesn't matter to Putin. They're wrong. And some people are saying that, oh, this is it, Putin's finished in the next two years. And to some degree, no, I don't think so. There's nothing that's going to say that he's not he's going to like leave office anytime soon. But I certainly think that on a long line of things that may happen in the future, people will point to this moment and go, mm-hmm. this is what started the end of Putin, similar to how the Chernobyl accident in 1987 finished off or began to finish off the Soviet Union.
0: Yeah, I, I think I need more information. I need to see what's going to happen to Prigozhin. I need to see how Putin is going to recover from this. If, if he recovers mm-hmm. from it, because I agree, it does seem to be very devastating for him and his leadership, but he had to know the risks. Like it doesn't, it still doesn't sit right with me. I think because I, I just don't have enough information to satisfy the possibilities. He had to know the risk. He's hired a private military army. These are mercenaries for hire. Yeah. The, the United States has been throwing money around like they can just print it because they can and they do and they will. So why wouldn't... I mean, you you and you could see all of these plot lines if you think, if you're trying to devise a way, how can we loosen Putin's grip how can we throw and this is the west i'm speaking from from you know from the west's inner monologue how can we make putin loosen his grip how can we shake the russian people's confidence in his leadership how can we create a win or at least a per- perceived victory for ukraine well let's take billion and wave it in Prigozhin's face and say, Hey, here's what we're thinking. Here's, here's your backstory. Okay. You're mad because you don't have ammo. You're, you're mad because, you know, Shoigu's army is killing your mercenaries. You're going to turn around and march to Russia. And then we will, Whisk you off to, you know, you and anyone else will, will help disappear. It's an, it's an incredibly devastating situation for Russia. And that's why I think the West is involved because I can't, what, what's missing for me is the real. And I, I mean, I just say real because it would have to be real for this conspiracy to exist. Prigozhin's real reason for doing this because he can't be that dumb, right? (laughs) He can't, he can't be so dumb to think this is my, this is my last hurrah. This is me sailing off into the, this is me sailing off into the sunset. And destroying my legacy, because this is, this is the kind of thing that stands out for me. And maybe this is just my connection to American politics. So we want to have a legacy. We want to have a dynasty. Oh, my, you know, and it, it goes back beyond, you know, like bringing it back to Game of Thrones. They all wanted to have their son that was going to carry on their legacy. And it seems to me, you know, Purgosian, this guy who at least had the respect of his band of mercenaries, is just going to piss it all away for nothing? Because that's where I feel like we are in this conversation, is Purgosian just pissed it all away for nothing. And that's what I'm having a hard time believing.
1: I mean, I think... he must have felt like he, he had to do something because they were going to absorb all of Wagner Group anyways. So, either way, he had nothing. He had no legacy. There would be no Wagner from next month. There'd be no Wagner. And next month, there will be no Wagner. So, my personal opinion is he felt like, well, either way, I'm fucked. Because, if Wagner goes quietly and all the statements that I've made against, against the Russian leadership, they might just kill me quietly. Uh, which is a, always a possibility. But now that he's made this public stink, they can't kill him. And he must have thought, well, I may as well give it a go because either way, Wagner's dead. Uh, so maybe he thought that way. I don't know. The guy ran a catering company and then he <laughs> ran a private military company. Which is So, <laughs> so, I, so you know, I don't, I'm not sure. You know, we're trying to think of this in 40 Chess you know but this guy ran a fucking catering company so he could be just an idiot that decided i don't like Shogu. i know guys let's turn around and fucking just drive up to moscow and then he realized oh shit i'm in deep shit because no one else wants to join me and please lukashenko can i come live in belarus so the russians don't fucking kill me
0: but what is stopping i mean they how how long how long does Prigozhin have to stay alive to and 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 how closely is the far Russian right or the far right in Russia going to be monitoring what happens to him in in two weeks?
1: God, I mean, compared to other compared to other people in Russia, you know that far right they they are people that are highly motivated. They follow this really uh, quite a great deal and their opinions are very very strong just like any you know imagine like a like a military family in the US their entire life is military you know they support the flag no matter what no matter what the war no matter whatever whatever war crime happens they support the fucking military through and through and these are the kind of people that you're thinking about but instead of the military they're, they're thinking like you know they're in their headspace that you know, the Soviet Union or Russia needs to be reunited and we need to get rid of these Nazis in Ukraine. And so, you know, we need to be in there and we need to be nuking the UK. We need to be nuking America. We need to be doing everything possible. Russian and Wagner's supremacy. just a small Yeah, that this is just one small part of this, right? And Wagner is 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 a cog in this. And they're not just going to forget about this guy that they've been following on his Telegram channel for the past year and a half, minimum. They're not going to forget about him. You know, they didn't forget about the other popular people that they follow and go to their speeches and go to their talks and all this sort of thing. Because in general, Russia is a very politically neutral place. But you get, you know, you're you're very, very, very radical 15% on the right that are dead set on we should make every man woman and child hold an ak-47 and get over to ukraine and start shooting so that's you know are they their memory is going to be much stronger than the general public in russia that probably don't give too much of a shit about the situation anyways they probably go wow okay this has happened what do i think about it which is terrible for putin and they might think one way or the other but in general, you know, their memory's not going to be as good. They might forget about this in months time compared to the super radicals that think they, you know, Ukraine is a Nazi state that should be eradicated and Russia should be imperialistic and taking over and we should be getting in there. They're not just going to forget about this guy who's the most outspoken. You know, They're just not going to. They're just not going to. So, uh. Uh, at least for a great deal of time, you know, maybe in a year's time, someone else becomes that guy, that spokesperson and they, they start following him and forget about Wagner and they do loads of defamation against Wagner and all this sort of stuff. And eventually that goes, but uh, at least for the short term, you know, that Pregosian is not going anywhere. And I think Pregosian, his best case scenario should be that Pregosian stays publicly active So that he's impossible to get rid of, a little bit like a cockroach. You know, he just (laughs) needs to keep doing public statements, keeps his Telegram channel alive. Because if he's super popular with the right wing area that wants to accelerate the war process, then he's essentially unkillable. Because if they kill him, that super right wing area will immediately look to the state and go, you know what? The state is the issue and Putin is the issue. And if we want to win this war in Ukraine, Putin needs to go. And that's, well, for very obvious reasons, that's uh, very dangerous.
0: So what would stop the West from assassinating
1: Prigozhin in Belarus? Uh, I don't know, not much. Because it but, sounds uh, like that,
0: I mean, let's let's forget that the West or let's forget the idea that the West was involved in convincing Prigozhin to march on Moscow. Yeah, sure. If Prigozhin being assassinated. Would be damaging to Putin and the war
1: Mm. effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Oh, I see. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean
1: I, think I see where you're going with this Prigozhin, that's a great idea
0: needs to be looking over both shoulders because you mean it it's I think you're right that Putin is his hands are tied when it comes to yeah. uh, taking out Prigozhin. but it sounds like that might be the new primary objective for the West because of how much more trouble it would cause for Putin to have, I mean, even Purgosian could even just fake his death and go live on an Island somewhere with the, you know, all of the people that were in that Titan submersible.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> you, you
0: caught it. <laughs> You heard it. I don't know if we should get into it. I had to it.
1: process that for a second. I was like, wait a second. Oh, I see where we're going with this. I don't know <laughs> yeah, if we should sure. get
0: into it because we're we're already over an hour. But uh, we should get into it. I mean, it's just too
1: good not to talk about.
0: the uh, Well, so, of course, we're talking about the, the Titan submersible from uh, the company OceanGate that went down to find the the Titanic and, you know, imploded less than two hours later. This is all, it was all mysterious and we were just getting information as it came out. And then suddenly the story broke that the United States Coast Guard says, oh yeah, we uh, we realized that we we went back and checked the tapes. It's just it's such bullshit. I, I I can't help it. It's so annoying. We went back and checked the tapes, and we heard a sound. We heard a sound, guys. It was probably that missing submersible that you're that you've been looking for. And then, of course, all the conspiracy theories rolled out. The Biden yeah. administration knew what happened to those people, and they kept it quiet because. They wanted to use it to cover up the story of of all of the the bribery and and mafioso shit that they've been involved in. But I don't know, man. Stockton Rush, the guy, uh, the owner of the Ocean Gate Company, he was being sued. His company was being sued for like I think it was almost a million dollars. Like this this couple that had sued him had already given him like half a million dollars for the privilege or, you know, for, for a spot on this craft to go down and, and look at the Titanic. Yeah. And, and then there was also like a $200,000 deposit or something like that, that they weren't going to get back. And he essentially, you know, the owner kept making up these excuses about why they couldn't go down there. So he was being sued for almost a million dollars. But a few of these things don't, sit right with me as far as the official story is concerned. So Stockton Rush, the owner of Ocean Gate is being sued for almost a million dollars. And he's citing these safety issues with this, this couple. Now, another of the the people on the submersible was this guy, uh, Narjole, who has been down to the Titanic before, something like 40 times, just a crazy number of times, like as many or more times than James Cameron, who goes down all the time. So if we're going down to this craft all the time, 40 times, I mean, name something that you've done 40 times that you're not an expert at. Right there's, it's it's a short list or a non-existent list. Cooking so, my, rice. my, <laughs> I don't think I've cooked rice forty times. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was on a I was on a kick for a while. But <laughs> how does this guy, this Narjolet, you know, diving expert, basically like the Jacques Cousteau of his generation, how does he look at this craft and go, yeah? I'll jump on that. That'll go down when it's not safe, when it's going to implode before it even reaches depth. How do they not have drone control to send it down into the depths unmanned to see if it's going to actually implode or if it will actually be able to withstand And if you were going to fake your own death, and this is speaking just about Stockton Rush, why not put the word out to a few of your friends? Hey, I'm gonna fake my own death. You want in on this? (laughs) Give me 250k, and we will erase all of all of your debts. Another one of the guys, uh, uh, uh. Darwood, a Saudi billionaire, Saudi, no, Pakistani, Pakistani billionaire, mm-hmm. and and his son. This really strikes me as, are, are are you familiar with Galt's Gulch? Do you know what I'm referring to when I say Galt's Gulch? No, no, no. So there was, there's a author, uh, Ayn Rand, who wrote the book Atlas Shrugged. And one of the plots or subplots in Atlas Shrugged is that All of these great minds, titans of industry, they're disappearing, and no one knows what's happening to them. Well, it turns out they're being recruited by this guy, John Galt, to come to Galt's Gulch and start a new civilization. Now, one of the interesting things about this uh, Darwood character, or Dawood, I don't know why... (laughs) My American is showing. Sorry. <laughs> Can't say anything right. <laughs> Got a weird accent. <laughs> um, he was also, uh, I don't know if he was a controlling, if he had any controlling interests, but he was involved with SETI. Which is is an organization that you know, if you ever watch the the sci fi movies or anything to do with aliens or or extraterrestrial life, they always have that shot, and it's of it's, it's the shot of the desert with all of the massive satellite dishes all pointing in the same direction. That's SETI.
1: Yeah, the SETI Institute.
0: They're searching for extraterrestrial life. This guy, Pakistani billionaire involved with SETI also on the submersible with his son disappeared last I checked they found no bodies I don't even know they said oh the last I heard was we may have found a debris field and then the United States Navy rolling out going oh yeah we heard it blow up two hours later if you were going to fake your death and you had these kind of resources. All I'm saying is that this would be a good way to do it. What say you?
1: I don't know. If they're f- if they're faking their death, it's damn fucking convincing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got to be. It's real convincing. In this day, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: cameras everywhere. But that's the other thing. Like, nobody really knows what these guys look like. It's not like they're celebrities. I All mean, Pakistanis look-, look the same. If you were the CEO,
1: though... Would, <laughs> come on, come on. That be was better... a joke.
0: That was a joke. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you're the CEO, though, of, of this company, don't you think it'd be better to have this as a, you know, um, suicide on-demand service? You know what I mean? Or, or like, faking your own death on-demand on service? Uh, where, you know... That, that would be more the lucrative. CEO, yeah, you, you're the CEO, and you let people go down. Oh no, there's an accident. You know where it, you know every every tenth run down to the Titanic. You know they all get lost or something, and that's the one you, you charge out for. Uh, that seems like a much more lucrative way to to do that. Um, you know, I feel I feel I feel really well, bad for also, the Pakistani guy. Also, you wouldn't be
0: able to run that company for very long. If it was a, if it was a, I mean, not if, not, not the faking your own death company. I'm talking about the diving company. You would have to, at some point, fake your death and then start up another diving company under a different name because otherwise people would start to catch on. So you were saying about the, the Pakistani guy.
1: Yeah, I feel, I feel really bad for His, I don't know, I feel really bad for his wife because she was on the BBC the other day because she was supposed to go down with him. And the last minute, I mean, she was on the boat, right? And last minute she gave her ticket to her son. And so, you know, that's a situation that I think is just like, holy fuck, I don't know what I'd do in that situation, you know? That would be devastating. That, That should have been, yeah, I would have been like, yo, that should have been me. And my son is down there, you know, I just, man, that's just rough. Unless they were
0: faking their deaths.
1: Unless, yeah, (laughs) unless, yeah. So like half your family's like dead, but half your family isn't.
0: I know that, that is a sticking point for sure, because why would you, why would you agree to not, I mean, and and that was the thing, like as I was digging in, trying to find things to support my conspiracy theory I didn't find anything about him Un- unless it's, I mean, who knows? Like the, the billionaire is dead. His heir apparent is dead. Who cares what happens to the wife? She could easily yeah. just slip away to, to, you know, Gulch gulch and, and live happily with her, with her son and her husband. There was another, there was a daughter also though, Right or am I getting yeah. that wrong? I feel like there was another member of the family.
1: Uh, I can't. I can't totally remember, but yeah, it's just the you know the family's been ripped wide open, um, and uh, you know it's the more the more I look at this situation, it's like oh god, it's it's one of the things where. uh... It feels more like those crypto scam things where people get conned into believing that something is real or it's going to happen or is good. You know, like BitConnect where, you know, old people would give up their savings, this crypto scheme, and then they would run away with the money. And this almost seems like that, except instead of them taking a large sum of money and running away with it, they took a large sum of money and they, they built a submarine from Harbor Freight. And then went <laughs> down in it. Yeah, and uh, it, it didn't. It didn't work out. I think they were conned by marketing, and the CEO is a very animated, very you know enthusiastic guy about about what he was building. Um, and I think people would have just trusted that, trusted the marketing, trusted him, and not really put any due diligence. And I feel kind of on one hand, I'm like, well. You know, you're going to pay 250k to go on an untested experimental submarine to the Titanic and it imploded and you died. I kind of feel like, you know, I don't feel too bad for them. <laughs> you know, that's not something no I would find. I would I would never find myself in that situation. Hey, uh, 404, I uh, do you want to go on a submarine uh, that I built in my shed and it only costs 250k. <laughs> uh, that's just not a situation I find myself in. You know, and and I'm a pretty outgoing guy, you know, I'm I'm pretty outgoing, you know, I do some crazy shit, but that's just not one of them.
0: Um, yeah, we're going to go 13,000 feet under the ocean where not where, where there's nothing except the wreck of the Titanic, which is an interesting, it's an interesting concept. The wreck of the Titanic sunk all the way down to this depth yet it's still recognizable. It hasn't been just smashed into something that resembles a a ball of tinfoil.
1: I guess because it's not not a pressurized vessel, is it? It was a giant ship. So, you know, once the water gets in, you know, it's... It'll hold up. It'll hold up, yeah, because... It's really, really thick steel, and it's it's not going to crush too much. Um, you know, as English, we built that thing, and the steel or iron or whatever it's built out of was so thick; I mean, it was crazy. So it's it's going to hold its shape fairly well con- compared to the the submarine, which has to withstand you know more than seven hundred fifty atmospheres, um, which is a great deal. You know, that's like. So do you think I can't remember how much PSI I'm
0: I'm sorry to cut you off, but do you think maybe Stockton rush thought, so he, he's preparing the voyage. Okay. It's, it's time to go. He's spent all this time, these resources, these people have invested. Now there's this couple still that's suing him. They weren't on the craft when it imploded. Right. Right. So I wonder if, tell me what you think about this. He rushed this voyage to the bottom of the sea Mm. because he thought that maybe in this lawsuit, if he could say you gave me all of this money, I had seats on the craft for you. You didn't want to go. So now that hurts your standing in this lawsuit. Because actually, hypothetically, it, uh, we yeah. we go down, everything's fine, we check out the Titanic, we come back up, then I go to court and say, hey, we went and you decided that you didn't want to go, so how am I responsible for giving you your money back?
1: Yeah, I think, actually, I think uh, it's probably worse for the people with their lawsuit now because... I think they dropped it. Oh, unless they dropped it. Yeah. But I I think it's actually, it would have been worse for them now because they stopped, they didn't want to, they couldn't go down because of safety concerns or whatever. Right. And so they wanted their money back because of that. This trip has gone horribly wrong, kind of uh, (laughs) highlighting that the safety concerns were very real. And so in the subsequent lawsuit, you know, you'd go, well, there was a reasonable uh expectation and obviously from from now with the implosion happening that uh, there was serious concerns that's why we stopped the trip going ahead and actually i think if the trip had gone ahead and been fine then i think they would have had a better chance but now that the thing has gone horribly wrong you know there's a real and present danger to doing this and so i think it would have been harder to win um so that's that's my that's my piece on that i don't know what what do you uh what do you think on how the thing was constructed did you see how it's constructed and how they controlled it and stuff you know what's your opinion on all that because from my perspective you know he was complaining about safety regulations and all this safety stuff and wanted to push innovation i think he had a lot of confidence in the innovation that he was doing but uh, i don't know from my perspective he he looks like an idiot that didn't know what he was doing and I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I did hear about the Logitech controller that they were using to control it. I don't know. uh, I don't know much about the construction of the craft itself, but I did hear in an interview yesterday that he was well aware of, of the safety concerns. I did hear something about carbon fiber. But I don't know yeah. what, what, uh, what do you know about its, its construction?
1: Yeah. So it's a, it's a carbon fiber woven, um, craft, uh, which is very, uh, different from how submarines are usually constructed, uh, for, for very good reason because carbon fiber is good at, um, internal pressure. So, you know, uh, tensile strength and stuff like that, where you've got pressure on the inside of the vessel pushing out because the fibers bind together and strengthen together. But carbon fiber doesn't do very well at compressive strength, uh, which is what would be in in the sea. You know, you've got seven hundred fifty atmospheres of pressure. So you know, we're experiencing one atmosphere right now when you're listening to this podcast. There's one atmosphere of pressure pushing down on you, but under <laughs> the sea, down at the Titanic, you've got seven hundred fifty times the pressure. Right. And that's just the water above you pressing down on you. 750 atmospheres, that's crazy. So y- y- your body would weigh literally 750 50 times more. And so carbon fiber doesn't do particularly well with that. As well as the per- Perspect screen that they were using, apparently, was only rated to about 1400 meters. And the, the total distance they were going was, I think, around four kilometers. So that, and apparently, that seems like what, what broke in, in this. Uh, Impact. So you've got a carbon fibre uh, tube or containment um, with titanium structure. You've got a perspex window. And these are all things that are sort of, they call it innovative. Um, I would say it's more like, you know, they're doing it for the first time. Uh, and they're going against industry practices, which is, you know, every major submarine is made of pure metals, spun metals. Moulded metals, pressed metals, because metal is really strong. It has really good compressive strength uh, per kilogram. You know, things like steel. That's why they make, you know, war submarines out of steel and titanium and other lightweight, you know, metals and aluminium and all these other things. Um, And they don't use carbon fiber uh, for for that reason. So um, the construction seems like they were trying to be innovative um, but really what ended up happening is they ended up basically going to all these experts the experts probably told them that hey look this is not something that's really possible um, to do at this depth because there's certain physics you know that, that are that are playing at, at this at this level of that level of depth right? And you're trying to take a a whole great deal of people down and keep the cost down and stuff like this. So they would have been told at some point that, hey, look, this is how you build it. They would have gone, nah, it's too expensive. We're going to do it this way. They did it probably industry standards, uh, different. They called it innovation. Other people call it stupidity. (laughs) And then we get to this point where, you know, an experimental craft that wasn't built to industry standard uh, imploded. and. To me, that's very predictable. It's like you build a submarine, not how other submarines are made, and they're made a certain way because that's just the way physics works. And uh, they've they've gone against that, and it's 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 uh, unfortunately it's it's um it's not ended well for them. Uh, so I think this is kind of like a I don't know about a cautionary tale because again, you know. You're the one paying money to go in an experimental submarine, four thousand meters under the water. So I, I I don't know if there needs to be a cautionary tale about that. It seems like that enough should give you a red flag um, to not do to not do that. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think uh, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on other companies that may do it the correct way, which is unfortunate because that means other companies will will lose revenue to do to do things that are probably a lot safer you know like you like you said james cameron's been down there more than 30 times that other guy that went on the other submarine went down you know 40 times so there is obviously a a safe and standardized way to do this and it seems like they try to skirt that um maybe for price maybe for complex uh, complexity issues uh so yeah it's just sad really it's just it's just so such a wild story really yeah i don't know I don't know. It's very, very, very odd. Very odd. It's one one for the history books, for sure. The Titanic claims more lives.
0: Right. Well, I feel like they would have had, should have had the technology to test out the design. But it, it's like you say, if if they're trying to keep their costs down and this CEO, the owner of, of ocean gate expeditions is, I don't know, hurting for cash. You couldn't really build your craft and then send it down unmanned. Knowing that it could implode and you'd have to start from scratch. I, I wouldn't put myself at risk in that way though. It doesn't seem no. I just did a quick search it doesn't seem that any bodies have been found The summarizer reads The remains of the Titan submersible have been found near the wreckage of the Titanic <clears throat> Concluding a week-long international search for survivors five major pieces of degr- of debris including part of the pressure chamber the nose cone the front end bell and the aft end bell which were made of titanium I believe yeah. have have been recovered by the U.S. Coast Guard. However, experts suggest that the bodies of British explorer Hamish Harding, British businessman Shazada Dawood and his son Suleiman, French submersible pilot Paul-Henri Nargillet, and CEO of Ocean Gate Expedition Stockton Rush, may never be recovered. So, yeah. job well done, boys. No one will ever come asking after you again
1: yeah it's pretty crazy because like at that depth, you know your body's not going to float so um, oh man, that's a morbid thought, well, yeah what like, would happen you to know, your... the deeper you go you, yeah <laughs> the deep the deep, the deeper you go, the more your buoyancy uh reduces, so that's why you know the wreckage shouldn't float to the top uh and why only probably a few bits floated to the to the top really?
0: Well, yeah. And there's also something about like the density of the salt when you get that low, like even giant squids that we never see. I mean, I think it was uh, just recently that they were actually able to confirm the existence of giant squids beyond just rumors because they found, you know, a, a body washed up on a beach of like a small one or something that had been killed by a sperm whale or something like that. They only go down like three thousand feet. And beyond that, it's nothing. It's nothingness for ten thousand feet until you get to the wreck of the Titanic.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just so harsh. You know, you got like I just converted it for you Americans. Seven hundred and fifty atmospheres is eleven thousand psi. So I don't know how much pressure you put in your tire. Maybe thirty five PSI. 40 40 PSI, maybe that goes in your Ford F-150. Well, yeah,
0: and 11,000 pounds, that's like being crushed by a Ford F-350.
1: Yeah, and that's per square inch. So per square inch of your body is 11,000 pounds. It's like having
0: an F-350 on every inch of your
1: body. (laughs) Yeah, literally. So you know, you wonder why like you know, it's so dangerous. It's like, well, you've got to build a pressure vessel that's going to withstand that um and be big enough uh to house you for the people and there's the got to have stuff.
0: yeah there's got to be bits on the outside that move and steer and lights and and yeah all, all of these other things goodness i w- we were yeah. we were going to talk about the uh the conspiracy behind the wreck of the titanic and how it ties into the federal reserve but we'll have to save that for another show not the next show you know because that never happens never (laughs) never (laughs) well 404 final words mate
1: well thank you very much for joining us again on another episode um Make sure to check out our website, uh, vox404.com, where I'll be putting up uh, a couple more blogs today um, to cover off some of the stuff we've talked about today and and obviously last episode. Um, If you want to learn more about um, the Ukraine situation, I highly recommend you go check out uh, maybe not last episode, but the episode before that, where we talk about the the dam burst and the other situations in in Ukraine that are ongoing. Um, So until then, see you soon. We will be back.